So again, 1 Peter 3, 1 through 7. <clears throat> when you get there, as a sign that you've gotten there, would you stand up so that we can honor the written word of God uh, together? And I'll read it, if you can stand. If you're not able to stand, that's no problem. The word should be on the screen. I'll be reading from the ESV translation. And just a little mental note, uh, my sermon title uh, today is, this is a picture, this is, this is a, a, a marriage, we're going to look at a marriage that's designed by God. A marriage that's designed by God. And this, as I read it, you'll see this is a picture of a marriage designed by God. So let's look at verse 1. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Verse 3, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious." For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves. How they do it? By submitting to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children, Sarah's, if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Verse 7, likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. So reads the holy and errant word of God this morning. Guys, as you have that in your, as your hand, know that it's, it's an errant. It's without error. It's true. Every single word of it. So enjoy that word. Take it in. Sit down. Let's go through it verse by verse and unpack this. The holy and spirit, the inerrant word of God. Let me ask a question, maybe a few questions. Uh, first question, you don't have to raise your hand or anything, but I want to address you if you're married. So are you married? Think about that. It's either yes or no. Are you single and you desire to be married? Think about that. Are you open to equipping yourself through the Word of God, so that you can provide godly counsel to those who are married or those who want to be married. I don't know if you've caught that, but everything I just said would include every single person in this room. So don't look at this text and say, oh my goodness, this is going to be just about marriage. No, this is the Word of God. It's profitable for us to hear. So that's where we're going this morning. So look at verse 1 again. The text says, likewise, likewise, wives be subject to your own husbands. Again, I want you to notice the first word that we covered today is the word likewise. It might also, you can say it this way, or in the same way. So what's happening here is Peter is connecting some dots here. He's connecting the dots to a previous teaching that we just learned last week, right? So he's going back to something. So he says likewise. It's kind of like therefore, but different. It's going back to something. The previous teaching, which was chapter 2, verses 18 through 25. And what did we learn there? Peter was dealing with problems in the workplace. We can also say slaves 
and master, but contextually we would understand more, we would understand problems in the workplace. Specifically, to be clear, Peter was addressing or helping those to deal with a boss, I'm sorry, we would look at it and say that Peter's helping us to address an employer or a boss that isn't very fair. Uh, Things aren't fair in that particular company. The person that you report to isn't always gracious. They don't treat you well. So that's kind of what was in play last week. Yet, Peter would tell us or instruct us, implore us, that as believers were to come under the authority and submit to the unfair employer by working unto the Lord. So it's about authority. It's about submitting. It's about coming under the authority of that particular boss. So Steve Cole, speaking of this subject, does well on the subject of submission to authority. Let me read a few things that he put in in writing that I think would be helpful. He says, God has ordained various spheres of authority. Do you agree with that? God is adorned... God has what? He is, he's ordained various spheres of authority. He is the supreme authority over all things. So when I say he's the supreme authority over all things, what I'm trying to tell you is, of course, we submit first and foremost to Christ. We don't do anything that would cause us to sin. So we, we submit to people that are less than. They may not be believers. They may not treat us great. But as long as he doesn't, that person doesn't cause us to sin, it's okay to go ahead and do that. But ultimately, we submit ourselves to Christ, right? So... Under God, we learned uh, in 1 Peter chapter 2, 13 through 17, there's a sphere of human government. There's also a sphere of the church in which elders have authority over the flock. We see that in 1 Peter 5, 1 through 5. That'll be later on. And there's also a sphere of the family in which the husbands have authority over their wives. We see that in today's text and then in the future date, Ephesians 6, 1 through 4, we're going to see there's a sphere of parents over their children. So we're seeing submission. We're seeing biblical headship. We see that there's an order. I think Bodhi Bauckham said this. He says, you know, there's got to be somebody in charge. If not, if you have two people in charge, then you should probably take those two heads, put it behind glass, and sell tickets to it. It's going to be really, really messy. It's going to get ugly, right? The two-headed monster, right? So this is God's order. This is God's design. It's profitable for us. It's God's design, and we lean into it. I think this will unpack nicely. So this theme of submitting to authority continues today. It continues. Again, back to verse 1. We'll go all the way to 2. Likewise, likewise, wives, be subject or submit to your own husbands. Okay, you see that? So that even if some do not obey the word, they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. What's that all about? (laughs) It's a lot. Again, notice in verse 1, even if some do not obey the word. Even if some do not obey the word. Notice these husbands have heard the word. Again, notice, these husbands have heard the word, they've heard the gospel, but they have yet to respond to the word or respond to the gospel, but they have heard, okay? So it is important to to share the gospel, to teach the gospel, to give the good news of the gospel. We want people to respond in repentance and faith, but as of right now, these ladies, they're not seeing that yet, and Peter is addressing them and saying, hey, 
this is what you can do. You, can't, you may not do the things you want to do, but these are things you can do. Or what you did do may not have produced fruit in your eyes, but this is what you can do. In other words, God's got you. This is God's order, his design. So what we see here in the text is a marital relationship between the believing wife and her unbelieving husband. Okay? So it's the believing wife and the unbelieving husband. Now think about this. These wives uh, were married uh, before they became Christians. And I think many of you understand that Scripture makes it clear that believers are not to marry unbelievers. We need to be equally yoked. There's many passages we need to be equally yoked, not unequally yoked, right? So there's many passages that would say that a believer is not to marry an unbeliever. This is God's way. It's God's design. But these are new Christians. They've come to a saving faith. And now they understand what this, what's been asked of them, what's required of them, and they're finding there's some tension. <laughs> this isn't easy. A marriage isn't easy when you're on the same page. Imagine if you're not, right? So this is a hard, this is a hard conversation. It's not easy. So he's giving them instruction. He's trying to help them. So Peter then says, Wives, did you know that this unbelieving husband of yours, that they may be one, the text says they may be one, they may be saved, Without a word, how? By the very conduct of the wives. And then it says, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Not a word. They watch and they see that you are respectful and they see your pure conduct. You can win them to Christ. It's a powerful piece of Scripture. So what he's saying ultimately is, listen, Christians, this would be for all of us, but, but he's speaking to the ladies here. He's all, act in accordance with the fruit in the Spirit. They're saying, yeah, you can respond to your husband, but as you respond, be gentle in your response. In other words, be Christ-like because you are in Christ, right? Ensure that you do your part to present the gospel in the best light possible, that you are representing Christ. And as you do so, you represent him well by obeying him, right? So this is what's going on here. He's saying, be pure. Ladies, be pure. Be holy. Obey God, even when it's, here's the word, hard and unfair and not right, right? Obey even when it's hard. Obey even when it's hard. If your husband won't respond to the word, which obviously here many did not, perhaps they're going to respond to the one who has been transformed by the word. So he may not have responded to the word, but you heard the word and were transformed by that very word, and now we're going to watch that in action. We're going to watch transformation in action and what it looks like, right? So maybe that will win him uh, to uh, the Lord. You see, one who truly is regenerate or is a Christian, that person is a doer of the word, not a talker of the word anyways, right? I mean, we've got to put some feet to what we say we believe, right? We've got to get some hitch in our giddy-up. We've got to actually do some things to show people we mean business. We're not saved by the things we do, but the fruit of our salvation will come out in how we interact with us. Remember, sometimes we say, we were talking about baptism today, and that's an important thing. It's an act of obedience. We, if you're not baptized, haven't been baptized yet, and, you, and you're saved, you need to be baptized. 
But it's kind of a funny thing, and I've said it before, but sometimes our tongues need to be baptized. There's a lot of things in our lives that need to be baptized, right? We've got to think about things. Our, if, when we're truly in Christ, it changes the way that we speak. It changes what we do. And that's what he's getting at here. So act in accordance with the Spirit. Understand that we need to be doers of the Word, not just talkers of the Word. So there's probably a few questions that you have, and you might be thinking, I don't know. There's some things I wish you would clarify, and I hope this part does that. So is this verse teaching, is this passage of Scripture teaching that a wife should never, ever speak a word? That you just sit there and just look pretty? No. That's not what it's teaching. Is this verse teaching that a wife is unable to speak to her husband about the dangers of sin and the hope one has in Christ? No. You could talk. You could say these things, right? Uh, what about this? That a wife must submit to an abusive husband. Is it teaching that? No, it's not teaching that. If, we're, if, so, if a woman is in danger, she should report it immediately, go to the police, come under the authority of the government structure. Our hope isn't in those things, but that's the structure. Law and order is a structure, and we see that in God's Word. But often, oftentimes, the unsaved husband, and in many of the cases here, he's not placing his wife in what I would call physical danger. He's not slapping her around or, or abusing her. That's not what's happening in most of these situations. However, he may be content because he's not a believer to make her life miserable or at least very challenging. It may not be easy, right? So, again, here's that word again. In this context, there is no alignment. They're both not submitting to Christ. They're not coming under the authority of Christ. One's going this way and one's going the other way, right? So there's no alignment. It causes problems. Now look at this in verse 3. I'll go all the way to 4. Do not let your adorning be external. Adorning means to make beautiful or attractive. So do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adoring be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Let's pause for a second. That last word, it's very precious when we do these things. To who? To the Lord. He finds this behavior precious. You don't see that word all the time. But he says it's precious. The Lord knows it's, it's not easy to do. <laughs> it's actually impossible to do consistently unless we are in Christ. And even then we stumble. Somebody say, Amen. So Peter is saying many things here. He's saying that, pure, uh, saying that pure reverent lives are exemplified by an emphasis on the inward and spiritual rather than the outward and the physical. Okay, So there's an emphasis on the inward and spiritual rather than the outward and physical. So the world is more outward and physical and that's not what Peter's after here. Peter's about what's in the heart, right? What's, what's, what's inward and spiritual. It has been said that good clothes and nice hair may win the battles. Ladies, sometimes you look real nice, right? 
You might win the battle, but if you're trying to win him that way, you might win the battle, but you're not going to win the war that way. Those things can be important. It's important to, to dress nice and, and to take care of yourself, but that's not what's going to win him to Christ, right? Peter is saying, again, pure, reverent lives are exemplified, as I said again, by an emphasis on the inward and spiritual. Inward and spiritual. Remember that. Inward and spiritual, right? So, what's he doing? Peter is saying, let's focus on the, not the, not the temporal, but the eternal, the things that will last forever. That's why we see that word imperishable, right? Let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable or enduring forever beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. But that lasts forever. Those are the things that are eternal. So God obviously, I think this is simplistic, he's not looking for outward beauty. That's not what he's looking for in this context. That's not what this is about, right? God is looking inward. God is looking at what's inside of our hearts. When he looks into your heart, what does he see? Did you know the Bible says that when you, be, when you become a Christian, that he'll give you a new heart and a new, he'll give you a new heart, and that new heart will give you new desires, that you will love the things that God loves and hate the things that God hates? So as God looks at your heart, what does he see? Because he's looking at that heart. He's saying that inside the heart, when you understand that that's what he's looking at, because in the heart, this is the beauty that never fades. All of us, from the day that we're born, we're just one more step away from dying. We're just, we start dying, right? We get older. And you start looking, and your skin, you know what I'm talking about. You look older, right? So, it's in, yeah, don't rub it in. Was that Vicky? Vicky, I hear you. Um, believe me, I hear you. So, we have to think about these things, right? We have to think about these things. So I forgot where I was at now, but I'll, I'll figure it out. Okay, I found it now, so I'm, I'm, I'm back. So just like old times, everybody. So. so again, what's in the heart is a beauty that never fades, right? And you know that, but it's true. Think about what you would tell your child, right? If they're really just thinking about looking good all the time on the outside. It's not that that's not important, but it's, it's, it's going to fade away, right? There, but the beauty on the inside never fades. We are, we are not to be beauty on the outside, and be ugly on the inside. You ever met someone that's beautiful on the outside, but they're just ugly on the inside? That's unbecoming of a Christian, right? So we want to be beautiful on the inside and beautiful on the outside, right? Beautiful, we want to be beautiful in all, all things as we're representing the Lord. Again, verse 4, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. When we see that word gentle here, it also could be translated humble. So he's saying, as you be gentle, be humble, as opposed to what? As opposed to being harsh. Now remember, this is not easy. They're not equally yoked. They're not in alignment, and the Lord is still saying, do these things. So they're not on the same page. So it's difficult to do. So we see gentle, to be gentle or humble as opposed to harsh. And we can actually translate this word as well as meekness. Meekness would be harnessed power. We think about the Lord. He was meek and lowly, right? He was powerful, but it was a harnessed power. We see 
that word could also play there. And then we see that we're to have a gentle and a quiet spirit. I like what Juan Sanchez said. He says, quiet has the sense of quietness of peace as opposed to the loudness of war. In your homes, or in the homes of your friends, or those that you love, right? You, you, can, you can have, you can bring to the table a, a, the quietness of peace, or you could bring war, right? It means that we, or women in this context, are to be a calming presence, particularly when things could become warlike. We have to understand that there's going to be triggers happening here. You've got an unbeliever that doesn't know the Lord. They don't know what you know. And here you are trying to honor the Lord, and we've got to be, on the, we've got to be thinking about these things. Trust that the Lord's going to help us. But we have to be thinking, this could turn into a war. We've got to be a calming presence. So we, we, we don't want it to become warlike. It's, it's, we want to be known as a calming presence, that we're pursuing peace even though the world is looking for war. Because the, war, the, the, the mindset of the unbelievers or the immature believer is, hey, I was wrong, then someone needs to hear about it. Again, it doesn't mean you can't speak up for yourself. It just means go into these conversations with a bigger view. What's, what's, what's going on? That you would see your husband come to a saving faith. Okay, That's, that's what's in play here. What if that could happen? What if you had to bite your tongue a few more times and that Christ would, in fact, save your husband, right? So we don't want to create war. We want to bring, a, bring, bring peace. We want to be a people that build up, not tear down. To be reasonable, to be responsible, to be prayed up and ready to have conversations. And then it says, so again, gentle. It says to be gentle and quiet and have a quiet spirit, and then it says, which in God's sight is very precious. So a lot to unpack in verse 4. This is the beauty, this is the beauty that is precious, right? So this type of beauty is precious in the Lord's sight. It's precious to him. It's precious before God. A wife's submission, again, as I said it before, is so precious to God because why? Because it's showing that you've been transformed. It's showing your new nature. You are a new nature in Christ, and you're showing it, and you're, you're distributing that, not just to your husband. Guess what? It translates everywhere else. Because if you can handle this, well, then you can handle lots of things, right? So this is a beautiful thing to the Lord. It's showing that you're coming under his authority. Again, we're saying, should you come under the authority of your husband? Yes, but ultimately you're coming under the authority of the Lord, and this is the way he does things. It's biblical headship, right? So again... We learn this. So when a woman does this, ultimately, it's showing that God, I have placed my hope someplace. It's in you. I place my life at your hands. I come before your altar, and I trust that you can do great things. I trust you to do these things, right? So Peter summarizes submission and two words in our text. It's gentle and a quiet spirit. Submission is summed up, gentle and a quiet spirit. In verses 5 and 6, 
Peter concludes his instruction to the wives by asking them to do something. He's asking them to consider a blast from the past. Consider the holy women of the past, which in this case we're going to see is Sarah, the very wife of Abraham. Look at verse 5 and 6. Again, let's go into the past. For this is how, ladies, the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. Now, if you want background on this, you would have to go to Genesis 18, verse 12. That would give you the full background. But I want you to notice something. As that word Lord is being used here, it's with a small L, not a capital L. Because the ultimate authority is the Lord, right? The man is also to come under the authority of the Lord. We'll get to, we'll get to the men in verse 7, right? So Jesus is Lord, capital L, right? So this Lord, I know it would sound weird if I said to my wife, you know, sweetheart, you know, moving forward, I like to have a marriage more biblical, and I just want you to start calling me Lord. That would be really unique, right? And it would be very, very odd, even though we see that in Scripture, right? It would be very, very odd. I wouldn't want to be called Lord. Maybe I would want to be called Lord. That might be interesting. Just, just for a night or two, right? But this is what he's, what he's doing here, right? So he's, he's saying, you know, so she's acknowledging that he, he's Lord, right? But this is all is an Eastern expression, and all it means, it's just, it just, it just a word of respect and submission. It's just showing honor. You know, the other day, I had uh, the, the Jason Milton and his kids at, at our house, and the oldest boy, Noah, kept saying, sir, yes, sir, sir. And he's 15 years old, and he's so respectful. And I like it when kids say sir, you know? But he was so honoring, and it's kind of that same flavor. It's like he's thinking about things. He's been trained, right? He's different. He stands out in a world in which we live in, right? I mean, it's really easy to stand out in the world when we honor the Lord, right? You look like a fish out of water because you are, right? Because you are. So again, you know, we, we look at this, at verse 5, let's read it again, 5 and 6. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And then as we go down in the text, it says, and you are her children. That can be confusing. So ladies, what does that mean, right? You are her children. What it means is simply this. If you do likewise, if you also do what Sarah has done, then you resemble Sarah's submissive attitude. Right? That's what it means. So Peter expects Christian women to take their cues from Sarah or good examples, not the world. That's all it means. Take your cues from godly examples, from God's word, not the world, right? Then it says, and you are her children if, back to the scripture, if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. You see that? So what Peter is saying is, look, ladies, God is going to look after you. If your husband responds in a hostile way, if he's not gracious, if he's not kind, 
God is going to deal with him. Peter is declaring that God's got you. God has your back. He sees. And he's a God of justice. He's got you. God is watching. So what did Sarah do? What's so great about Sarah? Why is she being held as an example? Why is that? Well, remember, her words that she used, most of her words, she used to build up Abraham rather than tear him down. Now, listen, you might say, well, he was a really good husband. No, he wasn't. You read your Bible? It's not because he was a great husband, right? It wasn't because he was a phenomenal husband. Many of Abraham's marriage failures have been well chronicled in Scripture. So it wasn't because he was a great husband. It was easy to submit to him. No. Yet, and Sarah, we know, was less than perfect. Yet Peter points to her as an example or a submissive wife. Because we're not always going to get it right. It's consistency. A pattern, a lifestyle of honoring the Lord. And she had that pattern about, here, about her. So it's, can we imitate Sarah? Yes. Can we imitate you? I don't know. Godly examples, not worldly examples, is the point. So Peter has just taken six verses to explain the marital responsibilities of the wife. He now takes one verse to discuss the role of a man. I'm sure you have lots of thoughts on why that is. But the imbalance here, six to one, reflects the unfavorable lot that the women, that the women had during this time in history. Women were not treated fairly. They were not looked upon as co-laborers. They were not looked upon as uh, the same as a man. They were treated kind of harshly. And, and, and the Lord comes in here, and we see Peter is giving these instructions like, hey, that ain't going to fly here. So this is revolutionary. So no more second-class citizen. No. The Lord's way is not second-class citizen. It's, there's an order, there's a structure, and God is telling us what the structure is through Peter. So the original audience, as they would have read this, would have been shocked by these words. We're not because we've read it before, but this audience would be absolutely shocked. It'd be revolutionary as they read this. So as I read it, just know that would be the case. I'll just read verse 7 to you. Again, this is for the men. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Okay? So men, this is how you should express your authority. That's what this means. Men, you want to know how you'd express your authority with your wives? Well, it's here. Live with your wives in an understanding way and then show honor to her. Remember, revolutionary. This wasn't happening, right? In other words, live in harmony with your wife and show them honor. Be considerate. We know that ultimately the example that we're going to go to is going to be Christ, right? But he's saying, do these things. Men, we also need to be, to, it says, we need to remember a couple things, that she is the weaker vessel. Okay? Now notice, she's the weaker vessel. 
both the man and the woman are both vessels. She's the weaker vessel, right? Uh, Vessels are set apart. They're sanctified for what? The work of the Lord. They're both set apart. They're both believers. They're both going to be used of God, but there's an order. He's the head, right? This is a big task for a man. So, again, remember that she's the weaker vessel, and remember that she is an heir with you. Therefore, show her respect. Show her respect as that weaker vessel. Because men, obviously, they possess greater physical strength, right? Uh, To neglect this and to not support your wife in this, it's kind of like, you know, you don't tell your wife, hey, why don't you pick a couch up with me? You're going to get somebody else to help you with that or something that would be more of a brute-type strength thing for the most part, right? We're different. We're we're, we're wired differently, right? If we look at sports, i got to be careful how I say this these days, but there's a women's NBA and there's a men's NBA, right? Right? It's, it's just different. We're wired differently. Our genetic makeup is totally different, right? So this is what he's getting at here. It's different, right? She's the weaker vessel. She's an heir with you. Therefore, show her respect as that weaker, ve- weaker vessel. So that's what he's saying. To neglect this and, and to not support your wife would be a sin. It's not what we are to do. So Peter is saying that, yes, Peter is, saying, is not saying that women are morally weaker, intellectually weaker, emotionally weaker, only physically weaker. Okay? So this is important. So the woman is to be held in high regard in the Christian home, to be respected, to be honored, to be listened to, to be understood. Again, revolutionary. And it says, remember, she's an heir with you. Both the husband and the wives are heirs to the glorious gift of life. One author said this. He said, our names are written into the will of God together, and together we inherit all that Christ has earned and purchased on our behalf. The Christian husband honors his wife, not because she is worthy in herself, but because God has declared her worthy of honor in giving his only son for her life. He died for her. She's valuable, so valuable that Christ's blood was poured out for her just like it was for you. So men, the purpose of your authority is to bless and to protect. Bless and to protect. We pursue that we bless them. We, we protect them. We, we guard them. We, we look after them, right? So these are some of the things that we are to do. So brothers and sisters, is that something that we are doing? Just pause for a second. Is that something we're doing? Have you heard something already that you can counsel somebody else uh, through the written word of God? Maybe it is as simple as, you know, um, I heard a teaching today, sweetheart, son, daughter, aunt, uncle, kid, cousin, grandson, granddaughter, and I thought this was really helpful. I would give it a read. If you want to talk about it, we can talk about it. Just walk them through the text. Let the Word of God do the heavy lifting. So he says, if you fail to express your authority in a godly manner, now listen to this. You talk about a warning or something to consider. If you fail to express your authority in a godly manner, your prayers are going to be hindered. Interesting, isn't it? Interesting. 
Again, we see in verse 7, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Why is that? To obey or not to obey will speak volumes with our current relationship with the Lord. We want to obey Him. We love Him. Why would God bless disobedience, right? We do what's right. We, we do not stick up for our rights. It's not about our rights anymore. We're slaves, do lost to the king, to Jesus, right? We don't just do what feels right. We let our good deeds, we look, we look at what we do, we honor the Lord by what he tells us to do, and we let that speak for itself, trusting that the Holy Spirit will invade that and make life out of it. So the Holy Spirit compounds this, and that's a precious precious. So men, we honor the Lord by honoring our wives. We honor the Lord by honoring our wives. So men, verse 7 is the man that you want to be. That's the man you want to be. Verse 7. That's the man you want to be. This is the marriage designed by God. Now, the main idea here of this text is Peter is dealing with how is it that both the husband and the wife can be a gospel witness to each other, to those watching. How many times have you said something and your kids picked up on what you said and said something they shouldn't have said because of what you said, right? People are watching. There's people in your household, they're watching, they're listening, right? But more importantly, the Lord is listening. We're to be a gospel witness. What if by our conduct we can win our husbands or win our wives to our husbands and wives to, to the Lord, right? So this is a big deal in the way we handle this type of, of situation here. We don't want our prayers to be hindered. So again, this witness is achieved by godly behavior. And if you want the ultimate taste of what godly behavior is, I'll read you. A quick passage of Scripture, Philippians 2, 5 through 8. Have this in mind amongst yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So we see the fruit of what Christ has done, right? That Christ is a servant. We see his humility. We see his obedience, no matter the cost, even death on a tree. So what did Christ do? What is this witness? What is it we follow and emulate? What's being held up here? That he surrendered all by coming under the authority of the Father, Christ did, right? It was his will be done, under the authority of the Father, right? Years ago, there was a marriage book titled uh, Men Are From Mars and Women Are From Venus or something like that. You remember that? Now, I never read the book. Don't buy the book. I'm not endorsing the book. But what it does imply is that both husbands and wives can be very hard to understand. Is that true? Right? There's kind of a joke that many men say, I, I don't understand my wife. I don't know what she's getting at, right? Well, according to the text we just read, we are commanded to understand our wives. We can no longer say, I just don't get it. We're commanded to understand our wives. Ephesians 5.25 says, For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her. So brothers and sisters, we're to honor our wives. Even in her weakness, we point her to Christ. We affirm her. We say, we hear you. I see you. I love you. I like what Chad 
Dick Hoon said. He said, a husband needs the, a husband needs the one who, wrote, who wore the crown of thorns, who had his clothing bartered away so that he could take the shame and penalty for us. Christ is the one we must trust to repair our marriages, and it's one heart at a time. So th- stop and think for a moment what you just got done hearing. Think about what you got done hearing. If you're married... I'm going to ask you to consider a question. Does your marriage today look like God has designed it? And does it bear witness to the gospel? Here's some other questions to think about. Have you been careless? Giving spouse, your spouse, the leftovers? Have you been distant, moody, inattentive, uninterested? Have you taken your cues more from the world than God's word? Here's one. When was the last time you prayed with your spouse and asked her, how can I pray for you? It's amazing what we hear when we ask our wives or our husbands that. You see, oneness, oneness, it's oneness or someness, right? Not some of the time, it's oneness. Christ wants oneness, that the two shall become one. You're on the same team. Here's a question to consider as I come to a close. Is there a spiritual coldness at this time in your, in your marriage or a deadness in your bones? Do you even feel like right now that your prayers are being hindered? If you thought, have you thought that? If you have, there's hope because brokenness leads to openness. Brokenness moves you from thinking it's them to you, right? There's hope in that. So today, here's what I would like for us to all consider, pastor included. Consider getting right with God by submitting to his lordship. Come come under his authority. If you don't know how to do that, do it through prayer. There'll be a, a whole prayer team up here ready to pray with you. Come and ask God for his mercy. You could do that at your seats if you'd like. But ask God for his mercy. When you ask God for mercy... The prayer is always going to hear. A humble person coming before the Lord, say, Lord, give me mercy. Come and bow low before the throne of grace. Cling to the one who was broken and bruised, the one who shed his atoning blood for our sakes. So whether today it's a marriage that's in shambles, a marriage that's just off a little bit, relationships that aren't right, maybe a son or a daughter, Whatever it is. Or maybe today you say, you know, I want to come under the authority of the Lord. I want to be baptized. I want to join the church. Or I just need prayer. I'm I'm struggling with this. Whatever it is, I would just encourage those of you who I'm speaking to to come forward at the end of the service and have someone pray for you and let us love you and be there for you. Because that's what the church family does. So with that in view, that is chapter 3, verse 1 through 7. I trust that you learned something today. And... uh, It's always a tough passage when you preach something people have already preached many a times, but but don't just hear it today. Hear it and respond. Make it different this time because God is worthy. And if he's worthy, come under his authority. And lastly, because I've got these two right here, Miss Kay and Vicki, I want you to know that on my pulpit today, it says this, shepherd and preach today as if there's no tomorrow. And then it has four names, Scott, Godinez, who passed away at 20 years of age. Jonathan Castro, 21 years of age. And Yolanda Garcia at 40 years of age.
Can we just let that sit in for a moment? We don't have a guarantee of tomorrow. If you need to get something right, do it today. There are three people in this room that understand that pain that I know of and probably many more in this room. The greatest decision that one can make is coming under the authority of Jesus Christ. Do that today. Don't feel pressured into it. Do it because you love him and you want things to change. I promise you to be the best decision you've ever made in your life.